You're listening to Super Yacht Radio. Welcome to Super Yacht Radio and welcome to a catch up with something of a yachting icon and a very good old friend of ours, Colin Squire, who has been running Yachting Matters since for the past 20 years. And pandemic or no pandemic, has continued to deliver Yachting Matters to every boat he possibly can get to for the 38th edition. Colin, welcome back. As the audience applaud, it's nice to be here. Nice to see you both again. Um, yeah, we've been talking about this, uh, having this little chat actually for a couple of weeks now. And, and we both, as we've gone along, been derailed by various things and not been possible. Anyway, it's great to be here. Great to see you both. We're watching each other on 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 video, which is nice. And um, yeah, so I'm opening. I'm open to questions. I'm open to questions. Well, the first question I have is a mathematical one. Seven. Twenty years of a biannual, <laughs> and you've just delivered the thirty-eighth edition. Correct. You dropped one somewhere. Why did I drop one? Ah, I dropped the last spring one, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, if you think That's about right. it, I'm going to go. I didn't suffer from the, COVID distribution error. Yep, I had to cancel the April edition, which obviously we produce in March. I had to cancel three days before we went to print. That was before they locked everything down. My my common sense told me something was going to happen, and thank God I did stop it. Um, yeah, we had to literally just turn off six six months of work, hmm. and we kept the the magazine obviously in PDF format, uh, all the stories have been made up. And then I had to basically then <clears throat> I felt that I would normally then have done a trip in August for my 39th edition. Um, and I decided that August with, with everybody on holiday would be more of a, uh, a danger to my health. The last thing I needed was to obviously catch COVID. And I thought well, if I leave sometime in September, it would work perfectly and that's exactly what you know what i ended up doing and i have to say sitting here with my friends calling me up and telling me i was mad and i'd i'd catch covid and and i'd be i'd never return to the uk it was rather a rather a strange experience to decide i was i would definitely do this and the other the other thing was my insurance with the nfu National Farmers Union, they're usually brilliant, um, I, which I'd had for 20 years, became, um, it was cancelled. It was insolvent. It, somewhere on page 73 of the um, rules and regulations of my insurance, there was a little line that says, if the UK government should ban travel to a certain jurisdiction, this whole, and you travel to that jurisdiction, which was France, obviously, at the time, this whole insurance is null and void. So I basically would have left the UK without insurance and there's no way that they would listen to common sense in that I said, well, all right, if I get COVID, I'll go into hospital under the European health system. Um, but I need coverage if I have a heart attack, break a leg, an arm, but no, they didn't want to know. I mean, talk about common sense gone out the window. And I eventually found an insurance through a, a, a lovely company I used for all my international travel um, dialer flight and I called them up and I said you must have people and they came up with an adventure holiday insurance company that actually covered me but not for COVID so I actually set off into the into Europe with an insurance 
that covered me for everything but COVID, but it only lasted for 31 days. So I had to do the whole trip in 31 days, and I actually did it in 30 days. That's, so, that's got to be difficult for you, Colin, because I, I, I can't even remember a conversation with you that lasted less than 31 days. That's, yep, yeah, that's very true. Um, I have been, <laughs> Just to highlight something <laughs> I have been uh, to the listeners to who will, um, but to highlight something to the listeners who will know yachting matters for being on the bridge or being on the boat, but that for being in yachting and being actually probably one of the longest running um, publications in our industry, but it has a very unique tilt is that you pretty much hand deliver every single copy yep. and you, to every marina and every captain. Yep. Yep. It's, the only, been, it's the only publication that you know actually gets to the hands of the captain on a bridge and also to the owner as well. There's an owner's yep. edition. Yeah. 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 Well, it's unique. I mean, it does have, yeah, we do print 2000 copies with the yacht owner on it and we seal that in plastic so that they, they're delivered on board boats and obviously they can then be put into the owner's cabin. And I believe a lot of them are, you know, I don't go up to every boat and say, can you put this in the owner's cabin? But some, so yeah, it's an identical magazine, but we have one aimed at each level, if you like, of, 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 of the industry and the people in it. Um, which is great, you know. If if somebody needs to get to owners, it's it's well, it's perfect. I mean, a lot of magazines they claim that all these owners read the magazine, and I wonder how. I mean, I get sent every day. I'll get a, an email. Oh, buy this mailing address and buy that. Buy this mailing address. Thirty thousand millionaires, you know. And you buy it, so along with about another hundred magazines, this poor guy sitting in his office, he goes in in the morning and the, and the secretary brings the wheelbarrow full of magazines that have all been sent to his office. Well, I can't do that. So by putting them on the boat, it kind of makes sense because the guy, you know, the, he arrives on his yacht for a couple of weeks or a month or a week and there's the magazine, whether it's the yacht owner one or the yachting matters one. They're both beautiful, beautiful so editions all, and you can pick them uh, up and read them. From your unique perspective, because you pretty much traverse the whole Mediterranean coast, mm. um, you know, in COVID times, what jumped out at you? Did did you see? Were, were you? Uh, did did you see many um, COVID safety things in action when you got to marinas? Did you feel like your health and safety was paramount, and that? things were sterilized that there, there was a, a a good secure COVID situation can i can, or did you feel all right, was, okay all right i set i left the uk on the 6th of september i arrived in uh dover to get on the ferry there were probably 30 cars on the ferry from dover to calais there would normally be 200 250 i got into france carried i had with me some amazing uh, anti-covid spray I'd, I'd been sent enough from my connections in the industry to to if you like decontaminate a couple of super yachts let alone my poor little car and me yeah and i took with me a box of surgical gloves i took um with 100 gloves uh i didn't like the color they were blue i thought i'd look a bit strange walking around docks with blue i took god knows how many face masks um hand gel stuff all in my car i was ready i was ready to fight a war 
And I arrived in France. I got to my first hotel. I walked in, obviously did my hands before I left the car, walked in the hotel with my, you know, my biggest problem was constantly forgetting to take the mask with me out of the car. It was a pain. But anyway, so arrived in the hotel wearing my mask. Everyone in the hotels wearing masks. There's, there's, you know, containers of gel everywhere you looked. I signed in. I went to my room. I t- had my co- anti-COVID spray. I then went, I mean, I'll write the rooms have already been, I assume, decontaminated or whatever the rules are with hotels at the moment. I went around every surface I would touch with my anti-COVID, all the handles, all the switches, all the, all the you know, uh, tabletops, and just rubbed them down with this stuff, you know, and just made sure in my own mind that I was safe. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it was right. It was strange how it changed between each country, the different rules in, uh, I would say one of the biggest places to catch COVID would be restaurants, right? A lot of the restaurants in Spain, uh, you'd go in, certainly the ones I went in, there would be checks when you went in either, you know, with a, with a thermometer that they pointed at you but i mean one place there was a machine you stood in front of and it automatically took your temperature um i found spain to be the most proficient shall we say in in what they did i mean they cleaned the table you sat down you finished your meal on each table there'd be a, a hand gel thing so you could during the thing you could do your hands if you wanted but the problem is all the waiters you see walking around touching knives and forks and things that is the the link in the chain i think where you could pass the covid on the spanish i felt totally secure i mean for breakfast i'd go into breakfast at one hotel in particular you'd go into breakfast they give you a pair of you know the kind of plastic cheap plastic gloves you get in a garage to put on your hands so when you pick your food up for your breakfast and sit down you've got something on your hands but no it, it was it was quite incredible. I think the saddest places I went to were in France. I think the French just had a an attitude. I mean, I, the one thing in Spain, you didn't have salt pots. You didn't have pepper pots on the table. You had little little packages that you opened up. You know, there weren't things that you would touch and then somebody else would come and use the table and touch. In France, there were. I mean, it was without doubt. I can remember one restaurant looking at the salt and pepper pots and they hadn't been cleaned in weeks. I mean, they were as bad as they could. I mean, it was quite frightening. Italy was very secure. I felt very secure in Italy, you know, with the way they were handling things. Um, Yeah, there were differences in the borders. And the other thing was getting over the borders. You know, you have to have a piece of paper that you you can I, I downloaded everything before I went so I had a big stack for each border and all I had to do was literally fill in this form say you know within 24 hours or whatever of crossing the border to say that I was COVID free not once not once did anybody stop me and check not one border that I went through were there any police or anybody asking me could I you know what I was doing um there were times when I thought I had to have COVID. I would have to have a COVID um, test before I could go over, but then it wasn't necessary because I could go into certain countries 
I mean, I think from France to Italy at the time, if I was in there for less than 74 hours, I think it was, um, I didn't have to have a test. I didn't have to do anything. But there were people that I came across that were flying into Italy because Italy and England, we weren't locked down. If you went from Italy to England, you didn't have to go for two weeks of isolation. If you came from France to England, you did. So people were flying from England to Milan, hiring a car, driving into France, doing their business, going back to Italy, then flying home, you know, and getting away with it. And, and um, for right or wrong, you know, everyone has their reasons. We all have to survive with our businesses. And people, you know, people were doing, doing the same um, through Dublin. They were calling yeah. it the Dublin dump. Or Dublin Dodge, I thought. Dublin Dodge, sorry. So they yeah. were yeah, you know, flying Dodge, in yeah. from, I mean, say, France. Is, yeah, people were just doing whatever they could to circumvent all the rules. Yeah. But What um, about the marinas? Did you find... Well, uh, the marinas I expected. This is what I honestly expected. I thought I would arrive at marinas. There would be somebody standing at the security gate with a maybe a you know a thermometer or something or somebody taking my details or whatever. Down. Nowhere, nowhere. I went to I mean, 1,800 yachts, I suppose, um, on the trip, and only one yacht, and that was in Monaco, 100-meter-plus boat, had a crew member on the back end. I brought you my yacht file. Oh, great, you know, and he actually disinfected the bag. He took it, sprayed it, wiped it down. Great. That was the only one out of 1,800 that I delivered to that took the precaution of cleaning the actual yacht file bag. Mind you, I will say this, the yacht file bags were packed in the UK into packs of five sealed in um, black bags. So they were easy for me to handle in fives that kept them together. So in every car, they were kept in the car in the black bags and they weren't taken out of the black bags and separated into individual bags literally seconds before I put them on the boat. So their chance of catching in any way having COVID on them was so minimal. Yeah, was... but, but as, as a crew member, I don't know that. I just got you. No, 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 you it. don't. No, I agree with you, Dave. I'm just saying from my point of view, these are the precautions I took to yeah. make sure that I didn't pass COVID on. And everybody came down. They were as if the world was just as it always has been. And in the whole trip, from one end of the med to the other, and it has changed now because it, from what I gather, the, the, the COVID is rampant now throughout the the boats i mean the crew now they're all back on shore and probably meeting up in bars or restaurants it seems to talking to a medical guy the other day and he said they now have 17 boats that they're looking after that have got covid on board but on my whole trip i came across one yacht that had covid on board and it was a about a 90 meter boat with about 20 crew and one crew member had tested positive and that was the only case active case that i came across and then of course you had the story of sardinia i was in sardinia and as you've probably heard the story of the millionaires club in in uh, portachevo that was allowed to open um because the obviously very wealthy owner 
had connections on the council or whatever. I don't know the reasons they allowed him to open it because all the yacht owners in in the port uh, they they all went to the club. Somebody turned up there with COVID. It got out that you know that people had COVID and they probably caught the link was the club. So when they went to the club and said, well, give us the list of all the names and telephone numbers, which by law they had to take when the people went in. Um, they were all, not all of them. I'm, I'm not going to say all of them, but certainly a lot of them are given false names and telephone numbers. So they were untraceable and all those boats left the dock. As soon as they knew there was COVID, they all disappeared to wherever they were going. And of course, quite a few of them had infected people on board. And it just spread it a bit. But, um, yeah, but apart from that, uh, no marina, no port. I was taken on. I was shown around marinas. I was escorted. I was shown new marinas being built. Uh, I mean, it, it was amazing, really. It was just a lovely, lovely trip. I stayed in my, I think the biggest shock of the whole thing was staying in Mallorca in a hotel I've stayed in several times before that is a beautiful hotel, probably 300 rooms. It's huge. And for four days I was there, I probably saw six other people in the hotel. And I thought, how can these people survive? How can you survive when there's no, nobody, you know, you've got no guests. You can't do it. I mean, something is going to give big time. And and, and 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 from what I hear, just in this last week, you know, the dominoes are beginning to roll over. Um, companies are starting to realize they can't get through the winter. They're cutting back big time. Some companies are, some businesses are closing altogether. You know, and it's very sad. And I think we're only now seeing what will be the start of maybe a different, business next year there'll be you know i, I spoke with a, a friend of ours in new york who's um he's english but he's married to a spanish lady they got the family there the whole extended spanish family and they're considering upping and moving to uh to the uk he said you know the way things are the tourism industry is completely decimated yep um there's an increase in crime there's um, a lot of companies that just, you know, that survive to feed into the yachting industry that, you know, they're finding it difficult to, but basically, yeah, the, the islands is in a very dismal economic and social place. And they're, you know, they're looking at, at moving to the UK. It's so bad. I think the, the empty beaches, I saw a, a picture from Magaluf of a pristine, white empty mm. beach which normally you know in september time would be full empty beaches means empty hotels means empty yeah. restaurants means empty taxis can i ask knowing you to be a chatty chap okay. um, colin colin squire <laughs> but you know as because you always end up chatting with people as well how was the mood among you know the crew and the captains you spoke to I think what you have to do is look back through history. Um, the mood on the crew was great. I mean, the thing is what you have to realize about yachts is it's not yachts and it's not necessarily the crew that are the ones that are suffering. The owners of boats, and this is through my 42 years of 
being in this industry, I've seen a lot of downturns. And the problem is the downturn affects everybody else. The boats, the owners, generally, obviously, very wealthy people. And I can assure you, some people through this downturn have made absolute fortunes mm. out of stock markets and, and, uh, and clever, you know, companies that have done very well. I mean, there's obviously companies that aren't doing well. But in, in general, somebody might have a company, but they also have a lot of money stashed away somewhere. You or know? invested. So yachts will keep and keep going. It doesn't matter whether they're sitting in port or whether they're cruising with the owner. If they're sitting in port, the crew is still being paid. All right. Some may have had their salaries slashed. Not everyone. I mean, I spoke to one of the, one of the top uh, aid, you know, uh, management companies and he said, and the guy who owns it, he was saying that 98% of their yachts were being funded as per normal. I, the crews weren't being laid off. Um, everyone was being paid. It was just the boats were locked down. They was they were stuck in port. So the crew, really, apart from the, uh, I think yacht yachts people have an urge to travel and move. So apart from the fact that they were maybe stuck in port and hadn't gone anywhere for the summer, they were still being paid. They were still being fed. Um, obviously, some of them because of travel restrictions couldn't go home. Same point, people that were at home couldn't come back to the boat. But, you know, we all have to suffer something and we can exaggerate always the amount of suffering. But believe me, the people on the boats are the lucky ones. It's the people shoreside that are the ones that have the yeah, problems. I and I certainly, I certainly didn't come across anybody that had, I mean, everyone moaned about COVID, but it, wasn't like I'm moaning about COVID, but I'm searching in the garbage bins for something to eat. You know, I've stood in Athens and watched kids in the in the rubbish bins, you know, trying to find something to f eat. You know, go back three years. I mean, you know, Greece was in a terrible state five years ago. You know, and it all came tumbling down. So that is that is starvation. That is hunger. That is poverty. Um, no, I think the yachts really in this situation. And the thing is, come next spring, it'll just explode. Uh, that, that's my prediction. This industry next year um, will bounce back. I mean, in the UK today, they've just given out the, you know, business. The business in the last two months or three months has gone up 15%. It dropped 20% in March, April. It's just bounced right back. But of course, we're now in another lockdown, so it'll fall again. Once it's all over, once the we've all had our our, our vaccination, you know, and we're all set up, um, it, it will just it will, life will return to normal. And in fact, my also my prediction is it won't just return to normal; it will it will explode because all the furlough that's going on in the UK, and I sure I'm assuming it happens in is happening in all the other countries. People are getting paid by the government, but they're not going out. They're not spending it in restaurants. They're not spending it in cinemas. They're not going out and buying stuff. So all that money is going in the bank, and that will get spent, you know, and it will happen very quickly when it happens. We may have a, <clears throat> a resurgence of the, the roaring 20s. 
Because that's you what gave do. rise to the Roaring Twenties back in the 1900s. Well, after the war. Was people yeah, had come yeah, through Spanish flu. Yeah. And yeah. also World War I just before that. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, having survived that, there was this... this uh, Euphoria. Suppose, euphoria. The, people were in touch with their mortality. They realized they were still alive and figured, yeah, life is for living. And that's what oh, gave rise to the Roaring Twenties. Yeah. Oh, the, the, our industry, I don't know if you know this, I think in America, I heard the other day, one of the top, if not, you know, I mean, one of the, certainly one of the top charter brokers and, and sales brokers out there, and they were saying that the yacht sales are up over 20%, yeah, 25%. We're hearing that I from all the, the brokers. Record, I mean, it's just, um, yeah. They've actually run out of, uh, of uh, stock. Yeah. People want boats, mm. you know. But really anything that floats, way. Colin. Anything we we spoke floats. with Funair. And yeah. fun air that make inflatable toys yeah. for both. It was, yeah. it was some yeah. great products. Um, but John was telling us he was getting calls from people just looking for um, uh, boards, paddle boards. paddle boards, anything that they have that, that, that would float, people wanted to buy. And what was a, a kind of novelty item that you know, they sold, it wasn't a main um, product that they promoted, uh, was one of the biggest sellers during COVID. But we've heard that from yeah. Denison. We've heard it from, from many of the, the yacht brokers that sales are up. And, and it's not just yachts. It's, uh, you know, super yacht. It's boats of all sizes. It's uh, RV in, in, in the States. If you if, uh, People are buying RV vans, uh, recreational vehicles, uh, the yeah. camper vans, we'd call them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is this surge of people who just want to, Get away from yep. the popular day, populated areas and, and yep. get out, be it on water yep. or into the country. Yeah. Well, you can't blame people, you know. And I mean, you know, with all the other thing is, I mean, all the death that's going on at the moment, you know, I think we've just gone over 50,000 dead in this country from COVID. And, and they're saying, oh, you know, big disaster. But what are they going to do? Oh, you know, the average death toll in the UK is 525,000 people a year. And they've had an extra 50,000 this year. And there's all, obviously, you know what's going on about it. And But I was thinking the other day, well, because they're mostly all people in their 80s and 90s that are dying, bless them, and, and they're in homes. And, I mean, it's terrible, really. And, and uh, you know, what is going on? But, of course, in two years' time, there'll be a big decrease in the death rate. So what will they do? Go out and start shooting people to keep the death rate level? You know, will we celebrate? It's probably going to be a, a big decrease dying? in, in, in uh, population anyway, because people aren't out in bars. Um, new couples aren't being formed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, accidental liaisons aren't happening. So yeah. you well, probably the thing, the thing is the, the, the throwback from the first lockdown was the increase in the birth rate in nine months. I was going to say, but there are more. families who are all stuck at home without that much to do. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, it swings and roundabouts, you know, it's just that we have a, we have this perceived thing that you can't allow people to die when you can save their lives. So mm. we've had this big fuss about you know, lockdowns and masks and sanitizers. I, I mean, it, by all accounts, I mean, Sweden now is, is up and running, you know, and they just didn't lock anything down. They, I, I believe 
they carried on allowing the shops to run and everything else. And everyone said, you're mad. They also had five times the death rate of their neighboring Scandinavian countries. Well, do they pay the price for it? And even the government regrets taking the the stance that they did. I'll tell you what got me the other day was the, this thing that's just happened in Denmark with the mink. Have you seen that? Yes. The mink, they've discovered that, that, that there's a form of COVID that has, has morphed and it's, it's done it in the mink farms yes, and but the mink course, farms. And you, you, but, need to be, you, you need to be quite well off to afford that version of COVID. Yes, agreed. Yeah. For the common but, man, no, but, 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 but what got me was we used to have mink farms where I live here until about 40 years ago and some activists went round. They let all these mink out thinking they were being clever. These mink to this day live in all the rivers around here, killing anything they can get their teeth mm. into. I mean, it's terrible, you know, so much for activists. At that point, I thought, you know, because of the seal thing, they, everyone was doing away with the coats. You know, that having an art, you know, a, yeah. a, a real fur coat was, you didn't do it anymore. Yeah, but offense. when this came out the other day, the fact that there were 25 million mink being culled in Denmark, I believe now they've stopped the cull for some reason. Yeah. But they, 25 million of these poor things kept in cages, no bigger than the screen on my t- on my computer here and having to live like that so certain people can have coats which to be honest can be made artificially you know i i I don't think they'd get 25 million of them into a cage the size of your computer screen unless you've got an enormous computer screen but no one in each case david (laughs) sorry i forgot you were irish (laughs) (laughs) but sorry i didn't mean um, that grabbed me as well i i thought that was all over and done with um, yeah. Can I just say, uh, it still struck me in Antibes as you came up from the, the harbour up the mm. one of the hills. The old town. It, it, just coming up from the old town, there was, uh, for the whole time we were there, so up until oh, the five courier. years ago, there was a Oh, just up from Freedom. Courier, and they would have, you know. It's on Avenue Thiers, if you go from Freedom Maritime. Yeah. And they had to, Heading away from the port of the marina, so you're going up that slight incline. There was a, a big fur shop there. Yeah, and same in um, when we lived in, in Parma, there was a yeah. massive big shop which actually did close during, yeah. um, in the center of the island, which did close yeah. during lockdown. But it just blew my mind because I went into it one day and not only did they have leather goods, which you would know from Mallorca, but they had loads and loads of fur. So I, I think it was a stronger movement, possibly in the UK and Ireland. And America as well. And America. No, then in some, but in some places, you know, certainly the older generation would have had furs, you know, as a yeah. kind of luxury item. And it seems that for a certain segment, it continued. Mm. Yeah. Well, there you go. If you're, if you're rich enough, you can have one. Doesn't, doesn't well, our, our Dutch mink, con- um, or Danish, our Danish uh, mink cousins uh, shall survive and live another day in their little cages. How wonderful! But I'll tell you something else that was interesting about the trip. Going back to the trip, I arrived in Nice unsuspectingly went down into the port to do my delivery. Walked around the corner, couldn't believe the whole dock there was full of boats. And they had a boat show. I think it was on, it would have been about December the 15th. I'm, I'm just guessing the date now. In Niceport. In Niceport. And they'd been allowed to hold a charter yacht show 
in Niceport in the middle of December. Uh, sorry, September. That was a kind of a strange time to be holding a, because I mean, you're not going to have charter, but, but it was well attended. There were 30, I mean, you couldn't get another boat on the dock. I think there were about 36 or 40 boats in the show. I never heard about that. Did you? No, and yeah. Cannes had no. been cancelled. You know, yeah, no, no, they cancelled them all, but too. Denise, the, the organisation um, had cancelled two or three, and for some reason, the the council had allowed them to do this show as long as it was kept very quiet, just amongst the brokers. But they did let me in, thank God. And, you know, uh, I delivered there. Then I arrived in Antibes and they had the Voile d'Antibes, which was the yacht race they hold did every they still year. Have that this year. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah, Hill Robinson. Yeah. yeah brilliant, brilliant guys. And they sponsor it. I actually did it one year with uh, Neil on his boat. Yeah. Um, on it was a fun day out, actually. Yeah, yeah it's good. And anyway, I went down on the Tuesday night, or was it the Wednesday? I went down on the Wednesday to go and say hello to everybody. And what had happened on the Tuesday night, it had been cancelled, right? They'd cancelled the event. There were 60 boats approximately on the dock, and every, everyone was aghast. And it, on the Wednesday morning, which was the preparation day, they suddenly allowed it to go ahead. I guess they realized with 60 boats there that something had to give. So mm. it was better they allowed the event. And it went up from what I gather. It was, it, I mean, I took to the, I went on, out on the water one day and did some, I couldn't stop do it every day, but I certainly spent a day with them. And it was brilliant. When I took the camera, did some lovely photos, you know, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was made me realize why I love this industry, you know. And, and then I got down to Malaga where I've never stopped. I've always thought of Malaga as being a very commercial city. And a friend of mine's building a big new marina, a big super yacht marina there. Come down and have a look, Colin. I'll show you around. So I stayed in Malaga and I was absolutely gobsmacked. I mean, it was, I mean, compared to Barcelona, I think I'd seen a go for Malaga. So anyway, they're putting a big new marina in Malaga. It's, it's, it's um, odd to think, you know, it's way down there near Gibraltar where there are very few boats. Um, and very, you know, but... Isn't is Malaga this... not the Magaluf of um, mainland Spain? Malaga no. and Tormelinas, I think, is next to it. Well, it may have been years ago, but it's been it's been swept clean. I mean, it beautiful streets, walkways, clean hotels everywhere, lovely restaurants. I, I, I was I was I was amazed. But anyway, so that was another another wonderful experience. Um, Sardinia. I mean, I stayed five four nights. I was given. I stayed in this in the marina. Um, one of the marinas up in the Costa Smeralda, and it was, you know, one of the one of the yacht captains there. He was an old friend. Normally, they somebody gives me a boat there, and I take a boat out and deliver to everybody at anchor, and. There was a yacht captain, a very good old friend of mine. So I'll take you, Colin. So the next day, we, he turns up beautiful tent and we go down, you know, delivering to all the boats out at anchor. And the thing is, just to give you an idea of, uh, to give you an idea of the numbers of boats, which again surprised me, considering everything going on, that there were boats that were chartering, there were boats that were traveling around with the owners on board. And to give you some idea, I would arrive in Sardinia and Corsica with about 100 and maybe 150 to 180 yacht files 
in my car, depending on how big they are and what, how many I can carry. But so say I would normally find 150 boats. I actually found 103 yachts in Corsica and Sardinia, so big enough to put my, you know, to put my stuff on. And so most most of the agents I spoke to were talking 40, 50 percent down on their boats you know for the for the for the summer season because we were getting towards the end of it and that's another thing that's happening is the length of the seasons i've been saying it for years you know that the, the, the typical boat owner now is not the old guy when i started in the late 70s that you had your traditional seasons of you know the grouse shooting the duck shooting the pheasant shooting the tennis the golf you know it mm-hmm. And, and the football and then you had your yachting season which typically started beginning at end of may maybe and finished end of august now it starts middle april and it ends and it does it end i mean it, it you know it ends towards the end of september but there are people now that because they have a boat and they don't respect the seasons they don't need to but if they're going to the they want to stay on their boats it doesn't matter whether it's november december january february and it, it will gradually you'll find that i think the season will be you know yachting will become like a 12 month a year season. is this a is this a positive spin on the global warming crisis it could well be a positive spin <laughs> i never thought of that yeah well you might be right i don't know but no but people have a different perception of their yachts you know it's it, they're like hotels now you know in a hotel you can go in a hotel 12 months of the year and i think people will start using their yachts in a similar way yeah especially you know. if you're down around south southern spain yeah it's warm. Uh, mallorca that that kind of region that it's a beautiful winter yeah. stroke yeah. autumn it's it's well i wouldn't call it beautiful i will i i don't know if you heard about the storms in italy which would have been right probably towards the end of September, beginning of October. They were appalling. And I literally, I was driving from Antibes to go down into Italy to finish some marinas off in Italy. I got just the other side of Nice on the motorway and I could not see more than 10 metres ahead of me. The weather was so bad. And I literally, I mean, I feared for my life. I pulled off, turned around went back to the hotel and it was the only day out of the whole period that I couldn't work. And I went back to the hotel, got up very early the next morning, headed off, got down to uh, San Remo and San Remo has a most incredible new sea wall, which was built last year. Just they've had some disasters there with the weather in recent years, which again goes to the global warming thing. I think it's not a coincidence. And, they built this, I guess it's a uh, 15-foot wall, you know, probably eight foot thick. I mean, incredible bastion. Uh, anyway, I arrived there. They've had this incredible storm go through. And there was a young guy on the dock, you know, and I'm, I said, oh, yeah, what about this? You know, and I said, uh, how did you cope with the storm yesterday? I oh, said, look at these videos. And there, you know, with this brand new wall, you know, the water was still coming over the top of it. It shows you how bad mm. and the surge in the port. I went to the end of the dock um, where Kingdom 5R sits and the water was still surging oh, into in the port. No, this is in San Remo. She sits in San Remo now. Kingdom? The, yep. Yeah, and the, and the, and the mm. 
it was surging into the port, surging round, and actually coming up on the dock. I had to paddle through this water to get to Kingdom. I mean, it was, the dock was absolutely flooded um, towards the end. It wasn't the whole dock, but certainly part of it. Well, when did you move to San Remo? Because uh, two years ago, the, the owner. I thought the owner owned that part of the IWC. No, 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 no. no. They moved there a couple of years ago. I think I've seen it there for two years. So yeah, that was that was kind of interesting to see, mm. you know, see that happening. Um, the, most memorable highlight of the trip. Most memorable highlight of the trip. God, um, can't remember. <laughs> well, the whole trip was a highlight, really. I mean, if you think about it, getting, I don't know, getting really. back I mean, without it, COVID was a highlight. Sorry. Getting home without COVID was a highlight. It, it was the highlight, but I, which brings me to something. Um, when I came home, I had to go. I loaded my car up with groceries in Calais, took the ferry across to Dover. Ah, pre-Brexit. Yeah, pre-Brexit. And, and I had to go straight from Dover to my place of incarceration, where I would spend two weeks of total... Um, isolation quarantine my daughter works with elderly people so you know i couldn't go back to the house where where i share with my daughter and her boyfriend um graham and so anyway i had to go from dover in my car directly to where i then spent two weeks on my own in a house um lovely house with a huge garden my yeah, just outside, yeah, about a mile from where I actually live. And but my theory, my thing was, I could go out every day. I love gardening. I could go and do the garden up in this place. I mean, it belongs to a family member, you know, friend. So I go out and do the garden for them. And I not once could I get in the garden. It rained for two weeks, <laughs> <laughs> and I am stuck in this place that I came back to. The first night I cooked myself moule marinière because I bought this fish in the supermarket in, in Calais and it was delicious. The next night I cooked myself a dorada, which I brought back, which was a very large dorada, I must say. Um, but that night I was so ill, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I, I, whether I'd never, I never normally suffer from an adverse reaction to fish but my god was i ill and when you're on your own and you know and you're throwing up every five seconds and boy you know and then i had to spend two weeks on my own not speaking to anybody apart from me i did a couple of webinars from there um but no it was debilitating and i i kind of which brings me to the point of i'm very proud to announce that we're about to launch yachtcrewhelp.org which i know you two know all about and i know you're going to have um caitlin vaughan on here from iswan so mm. you'll be able to at some point very soon have a long talk to her about it but you know from what took place last march april when we did the web because i believe you're at the webinar um when we had that terrible zoom bombing experience but from that effort we are now launching yacht crew help which is a 24 7 mental health helpline for yacht crew throughout the world and 
the lovely thing about it is it's totally independent from the industry. It's a proper charity. The people that will be working with the site, the, the professional psychiatrists are professional psychiatrists. You're not going to ring up and get me, which would be a bloody disaster. I mean, anyone speaking to me would <laughs> certainly wouldn't do them any good, but no, the people are trained. They are there for a purpose. Um, it's all free. It's all being funded by some amazing people in the industry. We still need more funding to keep it secure and keep it running into the years ahead, but I'm sure that will come on. But no, I think it's brilliant that um, all the people that got involved with it have pushed and the committee, the people that have joined the committee to make this happen. So I'm, I'm pleased to announce that. And it should have, I believe, been launched today, but we had a bit of a hiccup on the building of the website. But I've seen the actual alpha, you know, the I've seen the website. Mm. We've had it now to comment on. So that will be up and running in a few days. So, you know, that's brilliant. Just to add to that, I, I got to catch up about it as well. And um, as you were saying, you know, they have very well-trained counselors. They've also trained up people to understand the differences mental health has for the yachting community than just, you know, general people. The and there's the nuances of it. And they have different divisions, be it addiction, be it, you know, various different parts of it. But uh, I wanted to reiterate as well, even though this is launching and it's already the platforms there, uh, they will need more fundraising like many charities. So, you know, it's still a good yep. time to help contribute and keep this going now yep. that it's got so far. Yep. No, it, it's, it's, it's incredible to see it happen, you know, and it's anyway, so that's, that's a great thing. But going back to my two weeks of lockdown, I, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. And I think if we can getting this out there now, because I mean, obviously the lockdowns and the isolation will still carry on. And there are so many people on boats that some um, I'm sure have underlying problems. And, and the lovely thing about the site is, you know, he mental health can be triggered in seconds and, and people that know they are aware of this. Um, they really do need to, take on board the telephone numbers and use it because it's there to be used it's not there to be talked about it's there for these people to use anybody you know and it's not something i mean if you phone these guys up they're not going to bring your captain up or your boss or they're totally independent of all that and you know unless and it's, it's all a, strictly confidential it's confidential no it's brilliant so anyway that's that's a good thing that's come out of all this um yeah and but going anyway, going back to the trips, I'm planning another one in late January. My clock um, tells me that this, that what they're doing now with the lockdown throughout Europe, I think, is trying to get people so they can have a Christmas holiday. I mean, it all sounds rather bizarre, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. But it was like, to me, the summer thing was so people could have a summer holiday and they could go out and, and, and spend some money in all the little shops and help people least make something to help them through the winter um and i think that's what's happening now they'll they'll bring the numbers down you know towards say the mid whether they'll open england up on the third or fourth of december whenever it is they're going to this 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 particular session is going to effectively come to an end but it might be extended um so my theory is that christmas will be we'll all be allowed to have a christmas and as I live in the country, I'll tell you an interesting little fact. 
up near where my daughter has her beautiful Irish horse. See, keep coming back to Ireland, just to keep you happy. Um, there is a turkey farm where this guy every year breeds 7,000 turkeys. All the local people have their lovely black or bronze or, or white turkeys, um, all that have been allowed to run around in fields. I mean, it's a lovely concept, but of course, nobody wants big turkeys this year. So this poor guy has got 7,000 turkeys that are going to be too big. Everybody of course wants, they won't be having the big dinners, will they? You can't have the big dinner for 12. I think the maximum is six. So this poor guy, and I only found this out the other day, and I just thought just something you never think of. You know, the turkeys were bought in May because obviously nobody could plan. Um, they'll be ready turkeys of all sizes you know normally does but from what i hear they're having to seriously curtail the feeding of these birds to try and keep them small as possible isn't it sad <laughs> you know you can't believe uh, it can you? lucky turkey covid's obviously good for turkeys <laughs> well not really because they're, they're trying to keep their weight down that's the trouble keep them small but no but you know that's that's that but no my, anyway so i think that we'll have christmas january we will have very low COVID numbers again and the borders will be open and that's my theory. So I'm aiming to get away from here towards the third week probably of, of January and I'm going to do another big tour around the Med. More for my sanity than anything else. I cannot, um, I'm, a, I'm a compulsive traveller. Well, hopefully we'll talk difficult. to you again before uh, before you head off on that. But well, you, could come, you, you could come with me on a tour of the Sorry, come with me on a tour of the bed, David. <laughs> I would, I would in my grief box. I don't think I'd get a free pass for that one, Colin. <laughs> no, you'd enjoy it, but let's not say no it. just yet. Yeah, but no, it's it's you know I can I'll say this to anybody you know if if you need to, you can go and do whatever you want to do you can fly wherever you want to do. The worst part of my whole trip was coming home, and and. Mm. you know being being in lockdown and and isolation the rest of it i i had four weeks it was incredible how know? even however even with that you know further discussions of um covid testing and effective covid testing might help um manage the quarantine issue and allow people mm. to travel a bit more freely so. and yeah we've got uh hopefully we'll have a vaccine coming to uh, start hitting the market next year and therapies are much better. So it's all looking brighter on the COVID side. We just I did hear, Dave, that this new COVID injection, apparently one of the side effects is it makes hair grow on your head. I, I, w <laughs> I wouldn't take it then. Not unless, I, not unless I got a lifetime supply of Gillette to reverse the effects of it. You have to... You know, there's so much false news. There's so much crap going around at the moment. But you have to wonder. They're bringing out a vaccination using a system that's never, ever been trialed or used before. It's, or it's totally revolutionary. And I think it's, it's, it's worth mentioning. I mean, this, this is the messenger RNA. And yeah. I, I think it's ingenious. They, they've developed. It's a, it's a couple. They're Turkish, I think, originally. Um, and they work for BioNTech, I think they're called. It's uh, in uh, partnership with Pfizer. And this is a way of getting the body's own cells to create proteins that look like COVID, 
so that the body creates antibodies. And then yeah. if you do get COVID, the antibodies are already there. It's ingenious. And it opens the door because they were primarily cancer researchers. And this opens the door to a whole new generation of vaccines. So I think it, it's... It, um, it's, it's it really does, good. but... but hope that it's uh, it's all as good as they say it is but you know when when you look at the old vaccines that took four or five years to develop you know you think hang on they're throwing this out there and i'm sure it's 99.99 percent going to be so good it's unbelievable but there's always that one percent and you get that yeah, but you know, Colin, put... i mean it's in in times of war is when we see the best innovation you know, it's in times of war, we see things being invented much quicker than normal. Yeah, the we atomic bomb, for instance. And th this is a battle against uh, <laughs> a virus. So, you know, um, people ramp up and, and you've got to be, I think, optimistically or, or you know, you got to be hopeful that it's, it's what it says on the packet. If it's so not. So I have to say we are just about to hit the top of the hour with the news. Colin Squire, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been an absolute pleasure, as always, to catch up with you, if not in person, but still to get the lowdown of the adventure of we, delivering in a pandemic. We should do it more often, Colin. It's, uh, there's too much space between having you on board. Um, we, should, we should try pleasure, and do a more regular chat with Colin. It's a pleasure. No, I tell you, the whole the business, the industry is in good shape. Unfortunately, we, you know, we're going to lose. I think we're going to lose a few friends. Um, changes, people will move that around. Positive and, note. Uh, Glad to see you're in good shape as well, my friend. Yep, I'm still here. And anyway, all right. Enjoy, enjoy yourselves. Lovely to see you. Glad Lovely to see you. Too, know, everything's gone well over in Ireland. And um, next time we speak, I guess I'll be um, a foreigner. Indeed. Well, maybe you'll be available when we talk, talk with Caitlin about uh, um, the new helpline that's available. So we'll talk later about that. Anyway, yeah, Colin, thank you so much yeah. for joining us here on Lovely the session today. Always a, a valuable contribution you have to been, our discourse. You have been listening to Colin Squire from Yachting Matters. You are listening to Super Yacht Radio.